The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, the earnings we've gotten so far this week from the big retailers have really put pressure on the broader equity markets, really bringing to the fore Inflation and what it means for consumers and consumer spending, um, so raising questions about stagflation, about uh, recession, and the question for a lot of folks is how do equities perform in that type of environment? Let's bring in uh, our favorite strategist, Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Gina, what did you take away from the earnings this week we saw from the retailers? More importantly, uh, the market's response to those earnings. Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for calling me your favorite strategist. I'll take that um, absolutely all the way through today. <laughs> Nonetheless, you know what did we learn? A, a lot of more of the same, except for the market is finally paying attention. And I think the market is finally paying attention because the companies have gotten to the point where the margin pressures are so severe. They have a really hard time forecasting where things are headed into the second quarter, and they took down expectations materially. So more of the same was really, we know that this group has been contending with increasing amounts of margin pressure, but it's just been broadening and deepening over the course of the last several quarters. It just got a lot worse in the first quarter and is now anticipated to continue to get worse in the second quarter. Every other season, it, you know, they may have missed expectations. It generally guided us to anticipate things to get maybe slightly better, and that's the big difference this time around. So we did see a massive capitulation moment on the retail trade uh, over the course of just 24, maybe closer to 48 hours, considering it kind of started with Walmart two days ago. You know, I think the other thing that you take away from this is um, the market clearly had been anticipating that there were areas to hide yesterday, and some of those areas to hide were in the more defensive, quote-unquote, defensive sectors like consumer staples, and then finally realized as of yesterday, that's not necessarily a great place to hide when really, uh, when inflation and inventory cycle are your predominant drivers of weakness in the earnings stream. Gina, you've done so much smart work on margins and I always like to ask you about margins every yep. time you come on um, so you're probably getting tired of this but so be it <laughs> oh no Cree I never get tired of talking about margins it is my <laughs> personal obsession and it has been for more than a year so roll well, on so glad you did because uh, Andrea Felstead, one of our Bloomberg Opinion writers, she covers consumer goods. Um, she wrote this really interesting column last night about Target and Walmart being victims of their own success in that they've essentially secured their supply chain so well and they were able to pass on the cost to the consumers. But just any sign of weakness, the stocks really got punished. But essentially, it made them victims of their own success. So I have to ask you here. Where does the margin conversation even fall? Because a 25% drop in Target just yeah. seems extreme. Yeah, it does, except 
I think investors had been hanging on to this, right? So I, I would agree it does seem extreme relative to the size of the revision. Um, that said, remember how much these stocks were areas of strength for much of the last two years, right? And I think that that perspective is really important to just consider is these were pandemic plays. We knew that consumers weren't going to go out to restaurants, maybe weren't going to fly as much, weren't going to travel and, and, you know, uh, stay at hotels, but what, but we also knew that they would still buy their uh, everyday items at Target and Walmart, probably even start to buy more durable goods items because they could have those items delivered to their homes as they were staying home. And the result is that this group developed quite a bit of premium and concentration in holdings. And that's been unwind largely over the course of the last um, couple of days. It had started to unwind over the last year or so, but we really saw that unwind over the last couple of days. We're close now to seeing these stocks trade in line with the overall index uh, when you go back all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic to date. So hopefully we've seen a lot of the unwind occur now the question going forward is okay how do they perform relative to the rest of the market well the reality is these are goods oriented companies goods oriented companies at this stage in the cycle are most likely going to underperform because they're more sensitive to interest rates they had their time to shine and now we probably need to move on to more services oriented companies in the consumer space to lead uh, and that certainly is reflected in a lot of our work. Margins are one of the triggers that we follow really closely to, to watch that rotation. Interest rates are the other trigger, typically. Gina, just uh, quickly here, um, valuation, where is this market? I know you and your team do a lot of work on valuation. Yeah. For those that are looking to say, hey, at least I've got an attractive valuation for this market, are we there yet? We're getting really close, and I think for the the majority of stocks in the market are now trading at relatively attractive valuations. We still are deflating, uh, you know, a couple of pandemic-related bubbles in tech and some of the consumer names, certainly, which is going to, in our view, weigh on the market. But if you look at an equal-weighted S&P 500 and you kind of, you know, get rid of a lot of that market cap uh, concentrated risk, you're looking at a market that's trading under 15 times forward earnings. And we think the market to accurately price where the bond market is right now should be trading somewhere between 14 and 14 and a half times. So you're getting really close, um, you know, within certainly within a stone's throw of what we would say are, are pretty fair value valuations. All right, Gina, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate getting your thoughts, particularly as we you know, continue to uh, deal with this sell-off in this market so far in 2022. Looking for a perspective. Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. She's been doing this a long time. Uh, she was a Chief Strategist there at Wells Fargo for a while before we lured her over to Bloomberg Intelligence some number of years ago. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, let's go to Shanali Basic. Uh, she covers all things Wall Street for Bloomberg News. She joins us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. And Shanali, a big story out today. I think you know one of the big stories on global Wall Street is 
It's tough in the hedge fund business. They have not escaped the carnage that we've seen in the credit markets, in the equity markets. And a big name is closing stores. Tell us the story. Yeah, so this is really uh, a holdover from the GameStop era, if you all remember. <laughs> the short squeeze that we saw early last year that really hurt Gabe Plotkin's Melvin Capital. Remember that 55% decline. He recovered from a little bit last year, still ending the year lower, but not as low as it could have been. And there were a lot of big names that came to his rescue. Think Ken Griffin, Steve Cohen, and others we have heard as well. But this year, the sell-off really accelerated. And in the first four months of the year, his hedge fund lost 23%. Bloomberg's Hema Parmar broke last night that he wrote a letter to investors saying that he would be returning money to investors. They would soon be stopping management fees, and you are seeing an unwind of his positions. So what happens next? Does he does he have further ambitions? What, what do you do when your hedge fund closes? Uh, that's been a big question lately. You know, he wrote the letter last night, so it's too <laughs> soon to say what he's going to do next. But you know, a lot of hedge fund managers see an act, a second act. You know, one very prominent one that we talk about a lot, given the crypto uh, excitement, I guess, is Mike Novogratz. Uh, everyone remembers he had to shut his macro fund. Uh, uh, Steve Cohen saw a second act himself. A lot of people do see second acts in the money management industry. Some people go run family offices. Some people just decide to do something else writ large. Uh, but remember, he did have a great track record before the last two years. He, he did, yep. Had a very good track record, actually. And so his investors who have stuck with him, despite you know some concerns about his restructuring plans, uh, do believe that he has done a great job prior to this route. Is it Should we be expecting other situations like this where some hedge funds shut down because, boy, it, it was just been a brutal, brutal start to the year, and maybe they don't see any opportunity to get above that high watermark and start generating those performance returns? I think that's such an important question because it's not just the carnage you're seeing in the public stock market. You're also seeing a few other headwinds. Private market valuations are starting to get hurt as well. Tiger Global is a 10,000-pound gorilla in that room. Remember, they were really a force in Silicon Valley. They put the biggest venture capital firms on notice. They have really had a lot of pain in their public market portfolio this year. And they, you know, do they see more pain in that private market portfolio as well? Um, do other people close their doors? Big question. The cost of leverage is going up. You can't just easily borrow money to, to put on easy trades. And honestly, hedge fund leverage has been at record levels as well as retail leverage. And that unwind is going to be showing in the stock market more. So really a game here to mitigate losses this year to keep your doors open longer. I'm glad that you mentioned Tiger Capital for our audience, for our worldwide audience. I should say this is a hedge fund and the Tiger Cubs, of course, that are known uh, for their uh, tech investments. And that's why you've seen extra, extra pain in some of those companies. Very quickly, Shanali, I have to ask about the retail story. We talk, That's how we started this conversation. Does the retail bid come back very quickly? It's so interesting because you see FTX getting into stock trading and there's still excitement around it and, you know, influencers are talking about it. But the question is, can they get in as much as they were before? It's not creating that additional bid in the market. And you're seeing that very plainly. All right. We appreciate it. Shanali Bassett covers all things Wall Street. Got the Wall Street beat down for uh, Bloomberg News talking about uh, uh, Melvin Capital uh, shutting down, winding down. And, you know, it's a big, big fund. It was at about eight billion dollars. Um, and uh, so a big issue. Mr. Plotkin, a former uh, player at uh, Stevie Cohen's uh, firm as well. So uh, interesting to note there. I'm going to get right to our next guest, David Kudla. 
uh, no stranger here. Uh, he's the founder, CEO, and CIO of Main State Capital Management. David, thanks for taking a few minutes here. You know, we've been kind of framing the investment environment as kind of no place to hide unless you happen to be in commodities. I mean, fixed income down, double digits, total return, S&P near bear market uh, levels. How are you, as you step away and, and maybe, you know, communicate with your clients, what's your message these days? Good morning, Paul. Yeah, we uh, we just did a, uh, a a webinar for our clients this week and talked exactly about that. And we're at Mainstay Capital Management. We're tactical asset allocators. So uh, an environment like this is where we can um, actually allocate among alternative strategies, allocate among commodities, actually short bonds versus uh, being long bonds. If we look at a typical 60-40 portfolio this year, uh, if that's 30% in, or the, the classic 60-40 classic portfolio, if that's 30% in the S&P 500, 30% in uh, the NASDAQ composite, 40% in the U.S. aggregate bond index, uh, that portfolio is down 17%. Mm. Uh, through active management, going to these other areas, uh, you can be down a lot less this year. A lot less this year. We're looking at S&P 500 down, well, now only two-tenths of 1%. It was down as much as 1.5% earlier. What do you make of this kind of volatility? Well, th there's so much fear of where inflation goes from here in the coming months and how the Fed responds to that. Uh, the you know, we, we have, uh, you know, we've seen the year-over-year -year inflation come down a bit in the last read, uh, but we don't know if peak inflation is behind us. Uh, there's other external factors, but it, it's just a concern that uh, the Fed will continue. And, and Jay Powell said that, right? He said that uh, they will do what it takes, uh, the inverse of what uh, uh, Mario Draghi said back in 2012, uh, in terms of moving the other way and easing monetary policy, Jay Powell said he's going to tighten as far as he needs to to bring inflation down. And that's just put a lot of fear, anxiety, indigestion into the markets. And so we're seeing this extreme volatility day to day on the upside and the downside. What we saw on what we saw yesterday, what we saw on May 5th on the downside, uh, extreme days. So. David, give us a sense of valuation here. A lot of folks, as they try to, and I think foolishly try to catch, you know, call the bottom of the market, they might look at maybe valuation as a metric here. Is this market getting attractive from a valuation perspective, or historically, does your data show there's more to go? Um, valuation has never been a good measure, either on the upside or the downside. Uh, you know, typically what happens, and I, I like to say it, is there's some maybe an external effect, an external event or something that starts the selling or something that starts the buying. And people look around and say, boy, look at valuation. Stocks are very attractive and the, the buying begets more buying or when valuations are high, uh, investors look around and say, well, look how high valuations are and the selling begets selling. Uh, but, you know, one thing we know for sure is, is when rates are very low, as they have been for the past decade, 
uh, we can support a higher valuation. Now rates are going higher, and it's going to be harder to support those valuations. Uh, we've had TINA. There is no alternative. Uh, bond yields are up now and actually getting more attractive. Um, so, so, you know, we'll have an environment where we won't be able to or we probably won't be able to support the valuations that, that, that we've had over these past years. So valuations aren't the roadmap that perhaps other investors think it is. What do you look at? Margins? It, it's right now, uh, right now, Kriti, it's all about inflation. Right now, it is all about inflation. That was a message to our clients in our webinar this week. It's all about inflation. Uh, we, you know, we saw what the retailers did uh, to the markets, and that's a function of how inflation is impacting uh, their bottom line. But as far as the, mar- the macro impact on the markets, it's it's about uh, does inflation come to how much does inflation come down on its own? The thought was durable goods inflation. Would, would be coming down already as the labor force and the supply chains heal. Uh, we're, we're yet to see a, a lot of that. We're seeing a little bit of it. You know, if you look at some of the data, um, you know, if this continues, we saw housing starts uh, lower than expected. Existing home sales are off. Um, in fact, existing home sales, the lowest level in two years, uh, because mortgage rates have climbed so high. Right. Uh, we're, we're off a little bit this week, but still up around 5.5%. Uh, jobless claims higher than expected. So we're seeing a, a, a little bit of this come through, but it's it's really about uh, where we go with inflation and can uh, the Fed back off on this aggressive monetary tightening schedule right. that they've they've has been suggested ahead of us. All right, David, good stuff. We always appreciate getting your perspective. David Kudla, founder, CEO and CEO of Mainstay Capital Management, and also notably, he's a founder and sponsor of Engage, the world's largest student stock pitch competition and conference that's hosted at the University of Michigan. So that's really a good opportunity for uh, students to get a sense of what it's like to, to invest in these markets. And uh, David's a big supporter of that. Appreciate that. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I want to switch gears here, but it's kind of in line with what we just heard from President Biden uh, welcoming the leaders of Finland and Sweden as they uh, Europe continues to deal with the war in Ukraine. Peter Platzer, CEO of Spire. Spire is a space-to-cloud analytics company that owns and operates the largest multi-purpose constellation of satellites. Peter, thanks so much for joining us here. I wonder if you could give us a sense of your company, what it does, and, and, and kind of how Perhaps your customers are using satellites as they think about navigating around the ground war in the Ukraine. Absolutely. There are two elements uh, where Spire Data and Analytics is helping customers. You know, one element is understanding the global supply chain. You know, where are products going uh, and looking at how that has changed. You know, we've seen uh, uh, quite a bit of change in, in where Russian oil has been going especially as, as pipelines uh, consumption, you know, might be decreased. You know, we see tankers going, you know, more towards Asia than towards you know, the traditional country that it has been going. 
We also have a good insight for our customers that are concerned with food supplies in countries. You know, Ukraine has been a, has been a pretty big supplier of uh, of grains and other food uh, uh, elements, and and we've seen that decrease dramatically. And the second element where our data is relevant is in understanding, you know, uh, radio frequency emissions like GPS jamming on the ground and, and helping uh, national and international security efforts. International security efforts, Russia and Ukraine aren't the only tensions. Russia and China also uh, an evolving relationship, I think, is the best way to put it. <laughs> is Spire's intelligence able to offer any insights there? To the extent that I can talk about it, yes. You know, the, the, the big power of a satellite constellation is that it provides an objective, neutral, uh, and correct view from the ultimate highest vantage point space. Uh, Spy owns and operates one of the largest constellations, the fourth largest on the planet. We own and operate the largest commercial RF geolocation constellation with 40 satellites. Um, and as such, we, we do cover all of the regions you mentioned, and indeed the rest of the globe, uh, about 100 times a day. And that gives us a, a very objective view uh, with data and analytics that can help support activities and understanding of what is happening, including access-denied areas. Is there any evidence that you're seeing from your satellite imagery that Western ships are, are maybe not visiting Russian ports, that uh, you know some of these, uh, I guess, sanctions are in fact uh, happening on the ground on the high seas? Absolutely. Um, there is absolutely, you know, recently we looked at the data, there were no U.S. flagged ships uh, in any of the Russian ports, for example. So, yes, we do exactly see the impact of that. And even more so, we can uh, uh, detect and identify and alert where certain uh, ships or certain uh, flag carriers might be trying to circumvent certain sanctions. Circumvent certain sanctions. I mean, this is probably we were talking about how this seems like Cold War-esque almost. It, it definitely feels feels Cold War-esque. Uh, so I have to ask, is satellite technology actually effective in the fog of war? That is the power of the type of technology that, that we are using, which is radio frequency based, because radio frequencies to sorry to, to play the pun, you know, goes right through fog. Um, it is independent of sunlight, it is independent of the weather. And uh, it listens to what is happening. Um, uh, I come from Vienna, so just as in the Cold War, you had to listen for footsteps around the corners of the, of the hard streets of Vienna. Um, uh, our satellites are capable of picking up information uh, even when there is no sunlight and bad weather. Stuff, um, really fascinating stuff, Peter. Really appreciate you taking the time. Peter Platzer, CEO of Spire. It's a publicly traded company uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, SPIR. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.